chapter 3, again. <laughs> Taming the tongue. My good friend David Brush and I and my grandson went golfing yesterday, and I won't tell him your score, Dave, don't worry, but I found out that you're not supposed to make jokes when somebody's driving. I didn't know that. But Dave was quick to let me know that. Be quiet. James chapter 3. That's the least of our worries with the tongue. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Father, we come to you this morning um, in need. Lord, as we read, we, we can't do this ourselves. We need the help of your Holy Spirit to, to change us, to convict us, to encourage us when to speak, what to speak, how to speak, and when to be silent as well. Lord, I just invite your presence here right now, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit on our hearts, and change us more into your image. In Jesus' name, amen.
Now, I noticed a bunch of you laughed when you said we're still in James chapter 3. What's up with that? Yeah, we're supposed to finish last week, but I only did one verse. So I'm hoping for more this time. Now, we are going to focus in, uh, because we've worked our way through the whole chapter, we're going to focus in verses 13 to 18. But I want you, I don't want you to forget context, okay? When we come to the book of James, remember the things that James is calling us to, right? He's calling us to be let out with joy. And we discussed when we began that, to be let out with joy, we have to recognize that joy is in the presence of the king, right? The Bible declares that, uh, that there is exceeding joy in the presence of God Almighty. We gotta, if we lack wisdom, what did he ask us to do? Ask for wisdom, right? Then with, we, we discussed how the scripture declares to us that Jesus Christ, in Him is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So we need to be led out by joy. Joy symbolized in a relationship with God Almighty. We need to have wisdom symbolized by a relationship with Jesus Christ. That so we have this working through us. And then this call to us to be real. Right? That's what James was talking about. A lot of people, I told you last week, struggle with the concept between James and Paul. Don't do that. They're talking about two different things. James and Paul are talking about two different things. When Paul talks to us, Paul's talking about our standing. What's our standing? Our standing is we're in Christ. And if I'm in Christ, I'm a just man made perfect. But if you spend any time with me, you'll realize that, that my standing may be in Christ, but my state is a little different than my standing. Right? There's a, there's a progression in my life that is occurring as hopefully I am becoming more and more like Christ, right? There's a concept in Genesis chapter 1 that says we were created in the image of God. So I would call you to consider that word image as a verb. And we are created to be imagers of God. That we should shine forth His characteristics if we are in Him. If I'm standing in Christ, then I ought to look like Him. No? I should... Look like him. When we look at the other things, Paul's talking about position. What's my position in Christ? My position in Christ is I'm justified. I'm perfected. I am cleansed. All my sin is washed away. That's done. But my performance is different than my position, isn't it? And so James is dealing with that. James is dealing with my performance. James, James is dealing with my state. James is saying what I say with my mouth ought to be able to be seen in my life. And the very first place he points us to after, uh, after telling us about this idea of being able to recognize the truth of who you say you are by what you do, he said the very first thing is, he said, let not many of you become teachers and learn to control your tongue. A lot of things he could have pointed to, but the first place he went, he said, if you want to know if you're mature, I know a lot of people who walk around saying, oh, I'm a mature believer in Christ, I understand all these things. Well, let me tell you what James says. If you're mature, you have bridled your tongue. That's what makes you mature. The tongue has been bridled. We can tame all these other animals, right? But then he says, man, we need to learn to tame our tongue. And then in verse 13, he comes to this. I want you to keep context together. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct. Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So what's he, what he's saying is the same thing. You guys see it? He's saying, look, which, which of you is wise and understanding? Which of you has wisdom? I already told you where wisdom comes from. You remember? Which of you is wise and understanding? Then I should be able to see it reflected in your life. I should see wisdom 
in your life. Now, just by way of note, we talked about this a lot last week, but I just want to remind you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19 to 24. Here's what the Lord says. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But listen to this. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the, what does it say? Wisdom of God. He's the wisdom of God. Proverbs chapter 8 is one of the personifications of wisdom. I talked to you about Wednesdays. We're studying the book of Proverbs three times. Proverbs 1, Proverbs 8, Proverbs 9. There's a personification of wisdom. And that personification of wisdom, I want you to understand, is a picture, a a, a symbol, an illustration of Jesus Christ. In fact, it says in Proverbs 8, 22... The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His work, the first of His acts of old. Now, here's where, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I'll spend a little. Here's where some people get confused. Some of our translations, the, the uh, Hebrew word there is kana. Kana can mean create or possess. So some of our Bibles will say, you created me then before the, before the heavens and the earth, and some say possess. And you say, well, what's the difference? Well, I'll tell you. Either you have to say God was not wise and then he created wisdom, which doesn't make very much sense to me. Or you can say God possessed wisdom. Wisdom was with God eternally before the creation of the heavens and the earth. And that's what he's talking about. You possess me. When we look at the fact that Jesus Christ is wisdom, he was with the Father from the beginning. And as we look through this section of Proverbs 8, it talks about him being there, being a part of what's going on, doing the things that he was doing. So when this question is asked, who among you is wise? Who has understanding? It's all rooted in Christ. So if you have him, I should be able to see him. Are you guys tracking with me? If you have wisdom, I should be able to see that reality lived out in your life. I should be able to see it because actions speak louder than words. But he tells us that that we should be able to see that as we look at it and as we see it, uh, let him show his works in the, what's the next phrase? Meekness of wisdom, right? In the meekness of wisdom. And we talked a little bit about what all that's about. That is, again, a picture of Jesus Christ. Matthew, chapter 11, verse 28. We have it sitting right out here on our, on our foyer, foyer, or what did we say we were going to call it? Lobby, because then we didn't argue. We go out there and right up on a wall, it says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. This is Jesus, right? Calling people to come to him. He says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle. That word gentle is the word meek. Same thing. Meek, gentle. We discussed about what meekness is, and I gave you the greatest example. The Bible says there was nobody on earth that was as meek as Moses. So we looked in Numbers chapter 12 at the meekness of Moses. We're not going to read it today. just want to remind you. 
When we looked at it, you remember, Aaron and Miriam, they, they rose up against Moses. And they said, why should we listen to him? God can speak to us too. And they started backbiting and talking bad about Moses and talking about how they should be in control. And the Bible says, Moses didn't say a word. Sometimes one of the helpful things to help us understand a word is to look at the opposite of that word. The opposite of meekness, the opposite word in Greek of meekness, is revenge. Moses didn't say a thing. Who took care of it? God did. God took care of it. So we're to learn in the meekness of wisdom. You see, meekness, in meekness, we can receive what the Word of God is calling us to, and we can allow the Word of God to have authority in our life and change us. Because we're willing to allow the Word to do that work. We're willing to allow it to happen. We need to recognize, James 1.21, listen to what it says. We just looked at it a few weeks ago. Therefore, put away all filthiness and the rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word, which does what? Which is able to save your soul. Allowing the Word of God to speak authoritatively in our life and to change us. We are to conform to it, not the other way around. The world has it backwards right now. They come to the Bible and they say, you know what, this Bible, this is archaic. So we're going we're gonna to get some scissors and we're going to cut out this section, we're going to cut out this section, we're going to cut out this, it doesn't make any sense. But the Word of God says, in meekness, receive the implanted Word and allow it to save your soul, allow it to change you. Allow it to conform us, right, into the image of His Son. So that we're not like the world. We ought to be different. And that's what James is talking about. If you got wisdom, I should be able to see it. If you have Jesus, I should be able to see it. If you're being let out with joy, I should be able to see it. I should be able to see these things in your life. They should be evident in how you live your life. So as we look at this final section, these last five verses of the chapter... That first verse deals with our conduct. The second section that we're going to take a look at deals with a conflict. Look at the conflict that is in a wise man. Every, every one of us has this conflict. Look at it. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist... There will be disorder in every vile practice. So here's this, pl- this presence. There is conflict in our lives. Now, I know that some of you are going to look at that and you're going to say, it says, if. So maybe we have this in us, maybe we don't. Nope, sorry. That's not the, the condition of the word if. The grammar in the Greek in that sentence makes it a first class condition, which means what we're talking about is since. Since these things are true about the heart of mankind, you come and try to tell me you don't have jealousy or selfish ambition with a straight face. There's not people you're jealous of, or there's not a way or an area in your life that you have ambition to go above, to rise above. Of course we have those things in our life. Of course those are a part of the human nature. They're a part of what makes us who we are. But there's some, there's some definitions that we want to look at when we, when we look at this that kind of dictate the difference between when these things can be good and when they can be bad. You guys recognize that God, His name is Jealous. Do you know that? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You want to really melt your noodle? According to the book of Psalms, 
Phineas was justified because he was jealous of God. He was, he was jealous for God. The same way that Abraham was justified by faith. When it says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, the psalm declares, Phineas was jealous for God, and so he was justified. One, you have something you can't see, right? The faith of Abraham inside of him. The other one, Phineas, you could see because it was an outward action that, God, or that Phineas took on behalf of God. The point in each is this idea that, that you have something happening inside and something happening outside of a true believer. We have both of those examples in the Word of God. So we, there's a sense in which jealousy can be a positive thing, and, and ambition can be a positive thing. It gets you up in the morning, you want to work hard and be good at what you do. But there's also a sense in which those things become great negatives. What the Word is declaring to us here is just that. Bitter jealousy. That word bitter means to cut. It's a desire to harm or injure somebody to have what they have. To be so jealous that you, you want to do whatever it takes to bring them down. To take them down. Look, you want to see a perfect example of that? Look at, I don't, it doesn't matter which, which part of the political climb you are. The way the left speaks about the president is bitter jealousy. They want, most of them, if you ask them, want them dead. Right? Bitter, to cut, to take away what someone else has. Because... For better or worse, they want that position. They want that position. What's the idea? What's he declaring here? He says, since you have this, you have this bitter jealousy inside of you. Since you have this selfish ambition, that's a desire to, to divide in the factions. Have people follow me. I want to be the leader. Come follow me. I want you guys to do what I do. We're going we're gonna to take the church and we're cut it up into a pie. And we're going to have all these factions. The book of Corinthians talks about it. Some of you say, I am of Apollo. Some of you say, I am of Cephas or Peter. Some of you say, I am of Paul. Some of you say, I am of Christ. He says, is Christ divided? No, we're not supposed to be divided. What is that a sign of? Selfish ambition. Raising up disciples for yourself. Since this is a part of our human character, this is what he tells us to do about it. Look at the next phrase. Do not boast or be false to the truth. Literally, what he's saying is stop boasting and stop lying. we got to deal with this. We don't deal with it by boasting or lying. No, Jackie, what do you mean by boasting? Okay, I'm going to give you three versions of Proverbs 29.11. should be easy for some some of you to remember. It's the same as a favorite verse in Jeremiah. I've told you many times, a lot of times people get together and they do this thing called venting. Anybody heard of venting? Yeah, some of you have heard about venting. So in Proverbs 29.11, in the ESV it says this, A fool gives full vent to his spirit. Is it ever good, by the way, to be compared to a fool in the Bible? Okay, so that's not our goal, right? To be the fool? Because we just said wisdom is the example of Christ, right? So... If I, if I say I'm with Christ, I should have Christ-like wisdom in my life. Uh, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Proverbs 29.11 in New King James. A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. NIV, Proverbs 29.11. Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. 
Stop boasting. Stop sowing the seeds of your own wrath. Because the Word of God declares in the book of James that the wrath of man will never accomplish the righteousness of God. We want to grow, we want to move, we want to become whatever it is that God is directing us to, then we need to stop this. That's why James is telling us about it. Not to say, oh no, I don't have any jealousy. No, 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 I don't have any selfish ambition. And rather to say, I need to stop boasting. I need to stop thinking that I have all the answers. I need to stop venting how I feel to everyone else. For what purpose? Why do we vent? We don't vent to people so that people will yell at us and say, what what are you doing venting? We vent so that people will agree with us. Oh, you're right. I can't believe they did that horrible things to you. And what do we have? The same division that we talked about in the book of Corinthians, right? Is Christ divided? No. So he says, stop. Stop boasting. And stop lying. Like this, it's, it's Bible speak. You guys see the Bible speak? Do not, do not boast and be false to the truth. What is it when you're false to the truth? What's another way of saying that? Lie. Let's keep it simple. That'd be okay? Stop boasting. Stop lying. This is the call from James. We want to be mature believers, walking in the Spirit of Christ, and this is an attitude that we want to cross far from us. Stop our boasting, stomping on others, boasting against the injury that we have received. Stop lying, covering up for what we've did or what we've done. Listen to what James said, James 1, 19 and 20. It says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. There's a guy in jail. He's getting out in November. I've shared about him before. One day he'll be here when I do it. Uh, in November, I hope. But one of the things that I've told him for the last eight years, the wrath of man will not accomplish the righteousness of God. You can't get all upset about something and go off and do something dumb. Or you end up where? Why? You're kidding me. That's where he's at. And the first thing I'll tell him when he gets out. In fact, he calls me. We talk on the phone every week. I tell him all the time. You got to get control of this. The wrath of man will not accomplish the righteousness of God. It never works. Never works. The Bible says you can be angry and not sin, but most of us don't practice that. Do we? Because in order to be angry and not sin, you have to not lose self-control. And the first thing out the window when I get mad is self-control. Flies right out the window. Yeah, it's gone. So hey, we want to get rid of that. Stop boasting. Stop lying. So what's the... What's the problem that we face? Look at this conflict that is developed in the life of a believer. We have this thing in us. This old man, this old nature, right? And in that old nature, we can have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. So we need to stop it, stop boasting, stop lying. Why? Because this is not the wisdom from above. Isn't that what he says? This is not the wisdom from above. This is not how you learn Christ. This is not behavior we see in the life of Jesus Christ. Right? So it's not in the life of Jesus Christ. We don't want it in our life. This wisdom is not from above. This is how Proverbs treats wisdom. It discusses wisdom from above. 
The example being the personification of wisdom or the truth that Jesus Christ in him is hidden. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So we want to recognize that. We want to recognize that and we want to say, look, I don't want that kind of wisdom. Because that kind of wisdom in the book of Proverbs is called the fool. So this earthly wisdom, this earthly concept, this earthly reasoning, this is not the way to do it. It does not come from above. Look at the three things it's described as. Earthly unspiritual, demonic. Is there something in the life of a believer we should have that is described that way? So, can we all agree that this is probably not good? Earthly, unspiritual, and demonic wisdom, that's, that's not what we want, right? Let's take a look at it. What is earthly? Earthly is how you would say, or, or literally, fleshly, the idea of that part of us that was in charge before we came to Christ, that our flesh, the behavior of an unbeliever or a fool has said in his heart, what? There is no God. That's earthly. There is no God. That's earthly wisdom. There is no God. Don't you hear that in the world? There is no God. As soon as you take God out of the equation, what are you left with? Absurdity. You have no justification for morality. None. Zero. You can make no case for morality apart from God. None. You can say, oh yeah, no, we'll just all vote on it. How's that working out so far? That works out great, right? Yeah? Because we, we're, we're in the year 2017. Surely by now we're so far advanced we no longer sacrifice babies, right? On the altar of it's just not a convenient time? Well, wait a minute. I can read about how they did that in the Bible. Same way. It's not a convenient time. Man hasn't progressed at all. But you remove God, you have no foundation for morality. There's no foundation for it. It says it's unspiritual or out of our own depravity. Out of our own understanding, out of our own reason. There's a concept dealing with fallen man in which we say man is fallen in his entirety. Totally fallen. We're broken. That would include our reasoning. Our ability to reason has been affected by the fall. Now, I don't know that we really believe that. But see, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 tell us to trust in the Lord with how much of our heart? All of our heart. What's the next phrase? Lean not in what? Your own understanding. Let's just put reasoning there. Now, why shouldn't I lean into my own reasoning? Because the book of Proverbs tells us this, there is a way that seems right to a man. But it ain't the right way to go. It's the way of death. And Jesus Christ called us to the road of life. He set the children of Israel in the valley of the decision. He put priests on one mountain declaring blessing. Priests on another mountain declaring cursing. He said, see, I have placed before you blessing and cursing. Life and death. Choose life. But there's a way that seems right to a man. Our reasoning is broken. It's unspiritual. When is it that we can begin to trust our reasoning? When our reasoning is in submission to Christ. When we come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's entered into our life. We now have the wisdom of God living inside of us, don't we? We now have the joy of God living inside of us, don't we? That's what the Word declares. 
The power that raised Jesus from the dead has taken up residence inside of us. So are we able? Absolutely, for God is able. Then can I lean into my reason? Can I use my faculties as long as they're in submission to Christ? Absolutely. But if I remove that, all I'm left with is absurdity. I don't want to have earthly behavior and spiritual behavior or demonic. (coughs) Jesus said to the Pharisees one time, You are doing the work of your father. That's right. They were following the example, demonic example. What, was it, what, what is it that the devil wants to do? Kill, steal, destroy. Kill, steal, destroy. Man, every time I turn on the news, that's what I see on the news. That's what I see that the world has to offer. It, we can't even talk to people. We can't talk to each other anymore. It's the craziest thing ever. You can't sit down and have a conversation. If you do, the other guy going to hit you with a pipe because you don't agree with him. Might makes right, right? What, what might makes is war. Because the tools of the enemy haven't changed. He come to kill, steal, destroy, to take, to see it all. What do we see in reality when we look at this kind of wisdom? It's the opposite of Jesus. Isn't it? When we look at that verse, and we we consider the verse that we read, it says in the end, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder, or chaos, and every vile or evil practice. Disorder and chaos. That's not how we describe God, is it? In Matthew 11, 28, what did Jesus say? Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you chaos and every evil practice. That's not what it says, right? He said, I will give you rest. The opposite of that is when we choose to be ruled by our passions rather than to bring our passions into submission to Christ. And that's where they got to go. They got to be in submission to Christ. You want to be jealous? Be jealous, but be jealous with a godly jealousy. You want to be ambitious? Be ambitious. Be, Be ambitious with a godly ambition. Our passions, our desires must come into submission to Jesus Christ. For we see in the next two verses that that's the character of the wise man. Look at it. He says that, but wisdom from above. That's our example, right? Godly wisdom, the wisdom that comes from the Lord, wisdom from above, is first pure. Pure. You know that's a description of the Word of God? That's a description of the Word of God. But where did this wisdom come from? Wisdom from where? Below or above? Above, right? Wisdom from above. We've been talking about how wisdom personified is a picture of Jesus Christ, right? I told you that that there in 1 Corinthians it says that Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. That's pretty plain. I don't know how to make that plainer. When we look at Colossians chapter 2 verse 1, listen to what Paul says. He says, listen, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for those who are at Laodicea, for all who have not seen me face to face. What's his desire? That their hearts may be encouraged. That they might be knit together in love. To reach the full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery. What is it? Which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures 
of wisdom and knowledge. What do we need to know? Christ. Who do we need to follow? Christ. Don't make it complicated. Trust me, I can get up here and dance theology for you. How many of you guys went to one of my theology classes? At least once. Don't be afraid. There's more than two people in there. We'd start with like 70. And in two weeks, there'd be three. I can spin theology around your head, melt your noodle, considering all these concepts of the Word of God. But all you got to do to do that is follow Christ. I'm not saying theology is not important. I'm a theology nerd. I love it. I won't ever stop doing it, chasing it, trying to figure out all the mysteries. But I know that they are all wrapped up in the totality of Jesus Christ. So follow Him. What did Jesus say to His disciples? Come, follow me. Oh. That's all we got to do. Now, now, I say that, and I want that to be simple for you, but that doesn't mean you close up your book and say, well, I'm following Jesus, and you just do whatever you want to do. If you're following Jesus, you go where Jesus goes. You do what Jesus did. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you got to know who he is. you got to know what he's about. You gotta know what, what he loved. You gotta know what he hated. And those things should be reflected in our lives, right? To love what he loves, to hate what he hates. That we're following Jesus. So we put the word of God in our hearts. We put the word of God in our lives. And that's what comes out. So we want to walk in obedience to Christ. We want to follow him where he goes. We want the wisdom which is from above, which is Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And that wisdom is pure. Look what it says, Psalms 12, 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. Woo! I want to put a little purity in me. And I don't know about you guys, but there's nothing pure that I find very often in this world. Not very often. Every once in a while I get on the top of a mountain far enough away from people. And you see like an eagle fly by and... and uh, you know, maybe a deer come walking out of the woods and just tripping on nature. And that's pretty cool. But for the most part, this world's got it all twisted. I see all the guys looking. Yes, then I shot the deer. But that's not the point. <laughs> the point was, it was cool. The scene was cool. You see this idea of purity, but there's always purity in the Word of God. So if I'll pour the Word of God in, if you come to something in the Word of God and you say, I read it and I don't understand it, Jay, I don't, I don't know how to reconcile this with reality. Awesome! Monday morning at 7 o'clock, come right across the street, we'll have coffee. You can open your Bible and say, Jackie, what does that mean? And we'll figure it out. Tuesday morning at 6, right over there in, the, in that little room across from my office. We get in there, we open up the Word of God, start wrestling around in it. Monday night, they got men's study. They got women's study every day of the week. There's a bazillion of them you can go to. There's lots of opportunities to kind of get an idea of what that's all about. But that all requires effort. And I think that's a little bit of James' point, right? Once you said the words, you got the easy part over. Now, what's the truth? Is the truth your words or is the truth what I see coming out of your life? Well, maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't know. It's never too late to say, what, do you know that God commands all men everywhere the same thing? You know what he commands them? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Not complicated. Repent 
and believe. Trust in Him. Allow this wisdom from above, which is Christ, which is pure. Pure. The other thing that we see about this concept of purity, we see in James chapter 4, verse 8. If you flip over, if you get your Bibles open, flip over. James 4, 8 says this. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. That's what we did during communion, right? We examine ourselves, confess our sins, make ourselves right before God. Before we partake of communion, cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts. Make your hearts pure, you... What's the word? Double-minded. One of the things that made David pure, as the Bible declares, he was a man of single purpose. What was his single purpose? To know God. He was a man after God's own heart. Undivided heart. Purity. One of the concepts of purity is being undivided. What does it say here in James 4? If you're double-minded, if you haven't purified your hearts. Double-minded means literally two psyches. I'm trying to live in two worlds at the same time. Does that describe any of us? That we're trying to live in two worlds at the same time? We're trying to live in a world that is a life submitted to God, and we're trying to live out our lives in reality on earth. And so we're we're double-minded, and God says, purify your heart, man. You can accomplish both those things in one. Submission to Christ. Submission to Christ. You know, I'm, uh, I'm always blessed. My, my, my son works for uh, Rocket Car Wash. You guys all know. Anybody go to Rocket? No? If it's bad, don't say nothing to me. My kid works there. <laughs> I go there all the time. Go to Rocket Support where my son works. You know, Joe owns Rocket Car Wash, and one of the things he committed to, because he's a believer, loves the Lord, one of the things he committed to is, I'm not going to open on Sunday. And everybody said, well, that's stupid. If you don't open Sunday, you'll never make it. And he said, well, I, 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 don't, I guess I'm not going to make it. We're not going to be open on Sunday. So you can't go, they're not open. Can't go by. I'm going to go get a car wash today. Nope. Can't go get it. You have to go somewhere else. They were the number one grossing car wash in the United States. You don't have to live in two worlds. You can live in one. But you've got to decide you're going to do it. You're going to say, yep, I'm in that world. I'm all in. I'm submitted to Christ. I'm going to do it His way. How do I know His way? I open up His Word and I allow His Word to say to me how I'm going to be. I follow the convictions that He lays on my heart. I'm not telling you guys what to do or not to do on Sunday. You figure it out. I'm just telling you about a man who felt the conviction of the Word, felt the conviction of the Lord, decided to stand on his convictions, and God blessed it. And he can live in one world by being submitted to Christ and still have success in this one. You don't have to be double-minded, two psyches. Makes us crazy if we're running on two brains. That you, come on, guys. We all know that most women run on both sides of their brain at the same time. Are you saying I'm in dangerous territory? Is that true or a lie? It's true. I don't got to be afraid of the truth. Are you telling me, ladies, you don't run on both sides of your brain at the same time? You're going to be honest and tell me that doesn't get confusing sometimes. Oh, I didn't mean they're crazy. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'll just let that one go. 
We just want to, we want to keep single purpose. What's our single purpose? Purifying our heart, having a pure heart that, that our treasure, our goal is Christ. If your goal is something else, no, the goal's got to be Christ. And I put Christ up there and success in business right below it. And I can, I can have both as long as Christ is up there. As long, not just somewhere up there, as long as Christ is the goal. He's the point in which I'm flying. Everything else works. But if I try to do both, I'm going to live like the world says, and I'm going to live like the Word says. You're going to be crazy. That don't work. They don't go together. Purify your hearts, you double-minded, he says. Purify your hearts. Draw near to God. So first is pure. Then look what he says. The Word says, uh, wisdom from above, first pure, then, and then he gives us a list of adjectives. A list of adjectives to describe it. Peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Let's take a look at those real quick. First, peaceable. Why is wisdom peaceable? Because of the second adjective. Because it's gentle. It's gentle. That's why it's peaceable. You know, when we look at this, you, you can't help to bring to mind the fruits of the Spirit, can you? In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. It's the same thing he's talking about here. This wisdom which is first from above. It's pure. It's peaceable. It's peaceable because it's gentle. Why is it gentle? Because that's what Christ is. He's gentle. Now, as soon as I say that, everybody just thought he made a cords of whip and whoop people out of the... I, I, I wish we could play that because I bet it don't look the same as what you think. It probably looks worse. Jesus does what is best for you and I and what glorifies the Lord. Always. What was best that those people understood that this behavior is not okay? The Bible says if a father loves his children, he will discipline them promptly. My wife wrote that on every paddle we have. <laughs> we don't have any paddles anymore. When they're like 27, 28, they don't let you paddle them. That doesn't mean they don't need it. It just means they won't let you. So <laughs> I'll stop. We what we want to recognize is gentleness ought to flow out of us because it's a communicable attribute of God. See, I told you I like theology. What does that mean? That means that God is gentle and communicable means it's something that we can also reflect. So the gentleness of God we should reflect in our lives. The love of God we should reflect in our lives, right? Those, these are communicable attributes. This is a communicable attribute. Second Corinthians 10.1, listen to what Paul said. I, Paul... Myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Attributes of Him. The attributes of Christ. Meekness and gentleness. These are things that ought to flow through our lives. The third thing he listed was open to reason. Which literally means you ought to be reasonable. You ever met people who are not reasonable? You ever try to talk to somebody who's not reasonable? Man, stop. It's not worth your, try, your time to try to break through there. But it says somebody who has wisdom from above is open to reason. Which means what? They'll listen to you. They may not agree. They may not be changed in how they see things. But they're willing to yield to persuasion. They're willing to hear. 
They're willing to listen. The person who gladly submits to true teaching and listens carefully to the other instead of attacking him. That's a def- definition. So that's what it is. They're going to be open to reason. Wisdom from above. Open to reason. Next, full of mercy. Not just I got a little bit, I got a little tiny little seed of mercy. What did it say? Full of mercy. Which, which would seem to indicate to me that mercy seems to be the place they want to go first. And I don't know about you, but when I'm dealing, when I've been wrong, when I have been wrong or wronged somebody else, what I desire most when I go to them to apologize to them is that they will be full of mercy. And if that's what I want when I go to somebody else, then that's what I have to be willing to give. Right? Whatsoever a man sows. If I want mercy in my life, I've got to sow mercy. He's full of mercy. Full of mercy. James 2.13 For judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. That's not the line I want to be in. I don't want to be standing in the no mercy line. So then I have to be full of mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James said, James 2.13 Mercy triumphs over judgment. And for those who show mercy... The result of that mercy is good fruit. That's what it says. Full of mercy and good fruit. Good fruits flowing through. It's what Jesus said. Every healthy tree has good fruit. Every evil tree, evil fruit, good tree, good fruit. Simple. What are you rooted into? If you're rooted into Christ, if you're abiding in Him, what do you got? Good fruits. If you're rooted into Christ, what do you have? You're full of mercy. If you're rooted into Christ, what do you have? You're open to reason. You're willing to let people talk. Even if you know the people who are talking are just trying to trap you. Jesus did it all the time. Read the Gospels. Read the Gospels. Jesus' heart was willing to do all those things. He was gentle. He was peaceable. Next, he's impartial. Now, here's what impartial means, guys. Without party. (gasps) Without party. It's going to shock some of you. Jesus is not Republican. (laughs) Now, the ones, there's some that are going, yep. (laughs) Jesus is not Democrat either. He's not a constitutionalist. He's not a whatever-ist you can come up with. The body of Christ is not divided the idea of being impartial without party without party there are one there's no longer jew or greek barbarian scythian slave or free all are one in christ impartiality means nobody gets treated different than anybody else that is impartiality literally without party wisdom does not result in division or disunity Christ is not divided. It is also sincere, which is literally without hypocrisy. Literal, to be sincere. So it has sincerity. It's without party, without divisiveness. And what's the result? Look at the end of the verse. The result is what the end of the verse declares to us. It says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Sounds to me like peace is the goal. No? Peace. 
the product we will see if we hear the call of wisdom and reflect our Savior Jesus Christ is a harvest of righteousness, having right relationship with God, being right before men and people. James says, man, if, if the word that you say, I love God, and the reality of how you live your life meet, you're going to reap righteousness. Right before men, right before God. And you'll reap that because the harvest is sown in peace by those who make peace. Not the divisive ones, not the ones trying to divide, not the ones trying to to do all the things that we talked about with selfish ambition. It's somebody focused behind one leader. I'm focused behind one leader, one guy. That's who I want to follow. I'm going to follow him to the end of time. If he says go left, I'm going left. He says go right, I'm going right. His name is Jesus Christ. And he's the only one that deserves to be in charge of anything. So I'm going to follow him. And when I follow him, I'm going to do the things he tells me to do. You know, one of those things is to pray for our nation, to pray for our leaders. One of those things is to spend time in his word, to hide the word in my heart, to get to know who he is, the height, width, depth, breadth of the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. I want to know and understand all of him. And if I'll do that with an attitude of peace, sowing in peace, reaping in peace, Righteousness will be the result. They'll see that example flowing through our lives. Sometimes we struggle and we don't understand that this is God's way. Listen to this. The kingdom that I seek is His. His kingdom. And the way to it is His. The kingdom that I seek is His. The way to this kingdom is his. So I'm going to follow him. Nobody else. Him. I'm going to follow him and what he has revealed to us through his word. This is the call of James. We're going to see next week. Well, then where do wars come from among you? Chapter 4. Where do wars come from then? I don't know. You have to wait till next week to find out. And we'll talk about it. But the idea. Get the idea. Having the reality of what we profess and what we practice, right? That we practice what we preach. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.